This time the young children can meet their teachers in the back. They'll come back to us at the end of the sermon. Older kids, remember, if you like, there are clipboards in the back that have sermon note outlines, fill-in-the-blank format that you can grab. And uh, once the older kids are done grabbing those, adults are welcome to go grab one as well, as I know a few of you are apt to do. We are in Proverbs for three more weeks here. And I will begin with the same reminder that I always begin before I read these verses, that Proverbs comes to us in a different style, a different format than almost any other book of Scripture. Usually we, we dive into a book and we go chapter by chapter and just see how the Word of God unfolds in the way that is given to us. Proverbs doesn't work that way. Proverbs has to be read differently in a different style. And so as we've been preaching through Proverbs, rather than going chapter by chapter or line by line, we are looking at topics that Proverbs addresses and seeing how these topics are spread all throughout the book. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at many, many, many Proverbs on the same theme, and I'll be reading a few of them before I begin this morning. And we've tried to make sure that the references are on the screens for those that want to write down notes and follow along. But here now, as we look at Proverbs, hear now the word of the Lord. Proverbs 25, 11 through 14. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring. Or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. From the lips of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. 29.20 Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 15.23 To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 25.25 Like cold water, to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. This is the word of the Lord. Many of you who grew up in the church hearing and singing the, the songs that we are taught when we are little will remember, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you speak. We were reminded from a very early age to be careful with the words that we use. Now, we could have done our whole Proverbs series, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. The entire 12, 13, 14 weeks that we've been in Proverbs, we could have done every week on what Proverbs says about our words. There's that much. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of Proverbs on the words we speak, the power of them, the danger of them, the purpose of them. It's easily the most commonly addressed topic in all of Proverbs. Two reasons I would suggest why that's the case. One, our words are frequently the place where sin becomes evident in our lives. And two, our words are one of the ways that we express 
being made after the image of God. Scripture begins with God speaking. It's one of the first things we learn about God, that He's a creator and that He speaks. Speaking creation into existence, speaking order into chaos, speaking instruction to Adam and Eve. He makes then mankind in His image, reflecting who He is. And then we see Him doing something unique in all creation. We see Adam and Eve doing something that no other created thing does. They imitate their Creator by speaking. And their words, likewise, bring order where there is chaos, naming the animals. Their words bring ideas into existence. Their words give instruction and truth. But then sin enters the world very quickly. Truth becomes deception. Creative power then is used to destroy. Blessing becomes cursing. And yet we who are in Christ are being remade, reshaped, into God's image in Christ. And that necessarily includes how we speak, how our words imitate the speech of God. So to understand what Proverbs is teaching about our words, we're going to approach it as wisdom written to those who already are in Christ, being remade in His image. This is a reminder that we give every week. Proverbs is not written to answer the question, how do I live a good life? Proverbs is not written to answer the question, What must I do to be saved? If that's how we approach Proverbs, we come away with a moralistic view of our relationship to God. Do these things and God will be pleased with you. No, Proverbs is answering a different question. What does it look like to be saved? Now that we are in Christ, how should we then live? Proverbs is answering that in a a variety of areas of life. And this morning we look at just some of the ways that Proverbs tells us how those who are redeemed in Christ reflect the image of their Creator with the words that they speak. The first thing that we will see this morning is that from the truth of God's Word, we learn to speak honestly. That's one of the more obvious lessons we see in Proverbs is that our words, like God's words, should be true. From the truth of God's words, His way of speaking, we likewise learn to speak honestly. There are over, well over, I, lost, I stopped counting at one point, over a dozen commands to speak honestly in Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 4, 24. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Or as our VBS kids would be able to sing to you, and I almost invited them to do so this morning. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. And one of those things is, in Proverbs 6, a lying tongue. Or in Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We throw around that word abomination when we're describing other sins. But lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are His delight. The reason for that is more than simply that lying is bad. You know, we could look at the ninth commandment and see that. Don't bear false witness, false testimony. But the need for us to be truthful is about more than whether or not our words paint a true picture of the world. That's important. But it's about more than that. Because our words do more than just communicate facts. Our words do more than communicate facts. Our words reveal our character. Just as God's word reveals his character, our words reveal our character. 
Proverbs 10 warns us that one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 11.13 warns us that whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. The one who is trustworthy, whose character is good, that is reflected in how they handle secrets or sensitive information. Proverbs 26.28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Another one I didn't bother to put in, but I'm kind of regretting that now, so I'm just going to tell you it's a a, uh, a proverb that we threw around a lot in the house I lived in in college, which is like a madman throwing fiery darts and destruction is someone who deceives his neighbor and then says, oh, I was just joking. Yikes. Because what does that say about our character? What does that say about our trustworthiness? When we deceive, when we mislead, when we exaggerate, when we otherwise avoid truthful speech, we are revealing something about our character, something that puts us out of line with the God who is truth. In our words, we are to imitate the way God speaks. Listen now, Proverbs describes the word of the Lord in Proverbs 30. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Leave that up for just a second. Note that that proverb connects two things. The truth of God's word and the trustworthiness of God's character. He is a shield. We can take refuge in Him. We can rely on Him because He speaks truly and we can trust Him. Thanks. You can move on now. Only truth. Only truth gives us confidence in our refuge. Otherwise, we trust a lie. We trust an illusion. There was a movie years ago that I, I loved. It's called The Truman Show. And it's the premise of the movie, if you haven't seen it, is there's a man who, um, the whole movie's a commentary on reality TV, among other things. Um, a man who, from his very birth, his whole life, 24-7, was being broadcast to the world. He was a living reality show, but he didn't know it. The producers had created this whole dome, this whole world that kept him in an illusion. And every relationship he had, every job, every experience, every moment was fabricated. It was an illusion. And in the course of the movie, we see how that illusion becomes unraveled and how he discovers the truth and realizes he's living in this dome and his whole life has been a lie. And as he's trying to exit and he finds a way out and he's about to make his exit, the voice of the producer of the show comes over a loudspeaker into the, into the dome in which he's lived his whole life and says, yes, you're right. The whole thing has been a setup. It, it's been fabricated. But isn't it so much better than the world that's out there? I can tell you how much better it is. Come back in. Let me give you a comforting, safe world. And I'm going to spoil it because the movie is so old. Truman says, no, thank you. Because he recognizes that the illusion offers no comfort. If God's word was not true, if God spoke comforting words that had no truth in them, he could not be a refuge to us. Only truth provides the comfort and confidence and refuge that we need. Now, I want to continue down this path a bit. Because it's one thing to say that since God tells the truth, you also should tell the truth. But that's instruction without empowerment. 
That's a command without the strength to obey the command. And that's not the gospel way. The trustworthiness of God is the very foundation of our truth-telling. I'm going to say that again because it's very important. The trustworthiness of God is the very foundation of our truth-telling. We can only tell the truth because God is trustworthy. Examine your heart for a moment. And if it helps, close your eyes. That's, that's, that's great. I want you to think back to a time when you were less than truthful. Whether you were stretching the truth, which is still not being truthful, whether you, it was an outright lie, misleading someone, think of a time when you, with your words, were less than truthful and consider what was going on in your heart in that moment. What was happening in your soul that caused you to avoid the truth? Was it fear? Were you afraid of the consequences? If I tell so-and-so that this happened, what's going to happen? You know, if I tell dad I didn't really brush my teeth, what's he going to do? You know, if I tell my spouse that this happened, what's she going to say? If I tell my employer that I messed up in this way, what's he going to do? Was it fear? Was it a desire for something else? You know, lying to your friends or lying on social media, it's stretching the truth, exaggerating, making your life look different than it is because you want the esteem, the affection, the acceptance of others. There's something you wanted that the truth wouldn't get you. Was it worry? Was it insecurity? What was happening in your heart the last time you didn't tell the truth? I can stand up here and tell you until I'm blue in the face. I can read proverb after proverb and scripture after scripture telling you that it's wrong to lie. But if that fear and that desire and that worry is still ruling your heart, you're still going to avoid the truth. Because the root of your lie is still deeply implanted in your heart. The command never goes deep enough. Only the gospel goes deep enough to dig below the roots of why we fear the truth and make it possible for us to be truthful. Only the trustworthiness of God is a sure enough foundation for our truth-telling. The gospel tells you that whatever you fear, whatever you need, it is fully answered in Christ the one who laid down his life in your place. How will God not also graciously with him give you all things? You have what you need and you will never lack. You are protected from real harm. You are promised blessing and safekeeping. The truth then is not your enemy if you are a child of God. Because the gospel digs below that fear and that worry to remind you that you are safely held in your Father's hands. Even if you experience consequences for what you've done, even if you don't get the things that your heart tells you you need, the gospel reminds you that nothing, nothing will shake your status as a child of God, fully blessed, fully cared for, fully secure in Him. The trustworthiness of God is the foundation of your truth-telling. Because God can be trusted, His people never need to fear the truth. This is true for all God's people at all times, but especially so for us because we have seen the promises of God, the trustworthiness of God being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1, we are reminded that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. 
And that is why through Jesus we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and who has anointed us, who has put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In Christ we have seen that all these things have taken place, that we have been established, anointed, sealed, given the spirit, given a guarantee of God's promises when we see Jesus Christ. In him we see that God doesn't just make promises, promises to save us, promises to to defeat sin and death, to be with us, to provide for us. He doesn't just make promises. In Christ we see he keeps them. So whatever fear, whatever unmet desire, whatever compels you to avoid the truth, the trustworthiness of God in Jesus Christ gives you all you need to speak honestly and in doing so to reflect the truth of God's words. The next thing I want us to look at that Proverbs reveals about our words is that from the power of God's word, we learn to speak carefully. From the truth of God's word, we learn to speak honestly. And now from the power of God's word, we learn to speak carefully. Among the many Proverbs about our speech, we find quite a few that warn us about the danger that our words can do. That's because our words, just like the words of God in whose image we are made, our words have power. And like anything that has power, we have to be careful how we use that power. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21 says, From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He's satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life. That's a lot of power, ladies and gentlemen. And that power is in the words that we speak. Power that imitates and reflects the power of God. In the Monday evening men's Bible study this past week, we were discussing this. Looking at how God created the world by the word of His power. And then we discussed what else God's word did to show the power of His word. How God created all things by the word of His power. He raised the dead by the word of his power. He calmed stormy seas by the word of his power. He stopped armies. He destroyed nations. He brought rain. God's words are not idle noise. They're not just sounds that we can take or leave, like the babbling of a toddler who's just learning how to speak. When God speaks, things happen. And when we speak, we also have an effect on the people around us. It could be a good effect, Proverbs tells us. For example, Proverbs 25, 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Okay, break a bone sounds like a bad thing, but the point is that that a soft tongue has the power to do what harshness cannot. Wisely spoken words, soft words, have power to change things, even persuade a ruler. Or Proverbs 16, the wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. But we could also have a bad effect. Proverbs 25, 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club, a sword, or a sharp arrow. Three very destructive, damaging things. Our lies are like that. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The point is, 
our words will have an effect one way or another. And therefore, we can't be careless with them. I was reminded of that classic in literature, Clifford the Big Red Dog. I asked our children's ministry director, Katie, this morning, am I the only one who like ever read Clifford growing up? I was assured that no, I was not the only one. If you're not familiar with Clifford the Big Red Dog, it's a, story, a series of children's books. Children is a, a little red dog who, through the love of Emily Elizabeth, uh, who, who owns him, he grows into this giant, massive red dog that would fill this room if he were in it. And, and the stories are comical of Clifford, who is a, a puppy with a good heart, well-intentioned, does not recognize the power of his massive size as he runs around rooms knocking things over, as he wags his tail and knocks, his, knocks fences and lampposts down, as he licks someone in his excitement and soaks them to the bone, as he sneezes and scatters trees. He doesn't recognize the power that he has, and for Clifford it's usually comical and ends happily. But we play with words in the same way, not recognizing the power that our words have. We say things jokingly or carelessly, Okay, honestly, how many of you still carry around in your hearts the words that someone spoke to you, perhaps carelessly? Perhaps they don't even to this day remember or realize what they have said. But those words are a burden on you. Or likewise, how many of you have received a compliment or a word of encouragement that carried you through a month of dark times? And that person maybe didn't even realize how much it meant at the time. Our words have power, just as God's words do, and we have to be careful how we use that power. Our words are like tools. A hammer can smash a hole in the wall or it can build a house. We have to be careful how we use it. Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. We cannot be hasty with our words. God's word has power. And made in his image, we have power. Power to change and to shape. And so scripture warns us in Ephesians 4:29 to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Without naming names, just the other day, I heard a an interaction between a mother and a child. And the child, a teenager, was, was mouthing off, and the mother said, the Bible tells you to shut up. <laughs> and the child rightly said, where? <laughs> and I wanted to interject myself into the conversation and say, Ephesians 4.29. <laughs> Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Are your words going to corrupt and do damage? If so, biblically, shut up is the command. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words have power to tear down, but also power to build up. Our words have the power to give grace to others, to strengthen and encourage them, to instruct them. But apart from the work and the word of Christ, we cannot control that power. Listen to how the gospel repurposes that which has the power to harm and redirects it toward what is good. In Romans chapter 6, 11 through 13, you also, because Christ died and you died in Him, you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let no 
Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin. And when it speaks members, it means the parts of your body, your words, your mouth, your lips, your hands, your feet, your ears, your mind. This is, this is what we sang earlier. Take my hands and make them move. Take my feet. Take my lips. Take my heart. This is what we were singing. It's from Romans 6. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, your words for tearing down, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. The gospel has taken you from being an instrument that is made and useful for sinning and turned you into that which is able and made for building up and communicating grace and blessing your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Brothers and sisters, commit your words to God for the building up of others as the occasion fits. Because just as from the truth of God's words, we learn to speak honestly, and from the power of His words, we learn to speak carefully. Lastly, from the blessing of God's word, we learn to speak lovingly. From the blessing of God's word, we learn to speak lovingly. Proverbs not only assumes that our words have power, it assumes that our words have a purpose. God does not speak idly. He does not speak for no reason. He speaks with intention. He speaks with a goal in mind. And our speech too should be with a purpose, a good purpose. A good purpose that shapes what we say and how we say it and when we say it. Proverbs fifteen twenty three: to make an apt or appropriate or fitting answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. I mean, I asked a moment ago if, if anybody had ever spoken a word to you that you carried with you. I still can look back, thankfully, on words that people spoke to me. There's a few of them that come to my mind uh, of, of men and women who pulled me aside, some with great intention. There's one in particular I remember. Uh, at, um, I was in college. I was, it was after kind of a, a function of our college Christian group, and there had been a visiting speaker, and he, he just pulled me aside after the meeting. And I'm thinking, oh, no. The special speaker has pulled me aside. Here comes my rebuke. And instead, he grabbed me by the shoulders and looked in my eyes and, and just said, let me tell you what I've seen in you this weekend. Let me tell you how I've seen God gifting you. And for about 60 seconds... He not only filled my heart with such grace, He emboldened me. I come back to those words today, 30 years later. <laughs> he built me up in grace. His words had a purpose. A word in season, how good it is, Proverbs says. We often need to teach our children as they learn the power of language, and many of us need this reminder from time to time that just because something is true, that doesn't mean you need to say it. God doesn't say everything he could say to us, does he? God speaks with a goal in mind, and that goal is the blessing of his people. Whether it is a word of rebuke, it is intended as blessing, a word of correction, a word of instruction, a word of promise, a word of insurance. These are all intended to bless and build up his children. And so from the blessing of God's word, we learn also to speak lovingly. As we heard in our confession of faith from Isaiah 55, God says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, 
but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. In the same way, so shall my words be that go out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God speaks with good and loving purpose. Why else would we, as you all did, we tricked you into it this morning, after I read the scripture before the sermon, I said, this is the word of the Lord, and we all said, thanks, well, okay, actually not all of you said it this morning, it was kind of odd, thanks be to God. We say that almost every Sunday after we read the scripture, we say, this is God's word, thanks be to God. Why would we thank God for his word? It is because we know and see that His Word is intended to bless us. It is something for which we are to be thankful. And as we imitate our Lord, made in His image, our words should bless. Listen to how Proverbs describes the way our words should affect other people. Proverbs 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. An apple of gold, that's a lot of gold, isn't it? In a setting of silver. Or like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover. That's somebody who's correcting you, who's saying something you might not want to hear. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's like gold. When someone is wisely correcting you, that's gold to a listening ear. Or like the cold of snow in the time of harvest. When is harvest time? Is it in the cold times of year or is it in the the now times of year? Imagine a, a refreshing cool blast of air to the harvesters sweating in the field. That's what it's like when a faithful messenger arrives. He refreshes the soul. Or Proverbs 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb. My kids' minds were blown a few weeks ago when I told them, no, you can actually just eat a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Or Proverbs 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. This this is the effect our words should have. Words typed on social media, words spoken to children, words spoken to strangers, words spoken to that person that is annoying us and frustrating us. Our words should have this effect. That doesn't mean they always need to be happy words. It could be the words of a reprover, a wise reprover. That is still gold. Once again, though, if I send you from here only with a command to speak graciously and kindly, I have done you a great disservice. I've given you a duty without the ability. So once again, in order to do what Proverbs calls us to do, to imitate God with loving words, we have to look at the gospel that Proverbs assumes in order to speak lovingly, in order to be a blessing to others, our cup of blessing has to be filled to overflowing. Otherwise, we're trying to dump water out of an empty cup into other people's cups, and there's nothing to give. Our blessing has to be filled to overflowing, or we cannot be gracious to others. And that's what Scripture tells us is true of us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God called Abram to follow him, he said these words in Genesis 12, I will bless you, And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. God's purpose in blessing us is that our blessing would overflow to other people. 
And likewise, if we would be a blessing to other people, we must first have our hearts overflowing with the blessing that only comes through Jesus Christ. You and I are able to be a blessing to others, to speak lovingly, to speak words of healing and grace and compassion and gentle correction and instruction. We're able to do that only because God has first blessed us. And He has done this most abundantly and most clearly in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, John's Gospel describes Jesus as the Word. And then goes on to say, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The honest and true and powerful and blessing-filled Word of God became a living, embodied Word in Jesus Christ. A Word that not only revealed information, but which gave the abundant grace of God. We who have received that Word, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace from God. What then should our words be if we are so filled with grace? Our words should be loving should be gracious, should be words of blessing. What happens then is that God, like He did with Abram, blessed Abraham to be a blessing. God blesses us that we would be a blessing. Our words, God uses our words to bless other people. That, that is amazing. Okay, the only, the, you don't only get blessing from God through the Scripture. You get blessing from God as His Word is spoken through His people. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. There are many ways that God blesses us through each other's words. Many ways that you can bless others. That God uses your words to be a blessing. Through evangelism, preaching His Word to those who don't know it. Teaching others, instructing them. Encouraging other people. Reminding them of the good things, the good promises of God when they are downcast or, or losing heart or struggling. Singing. Singing. The Word of Christ dwells in you richly as you sing His Word to one another, as you pray with and for one another. God uses you, uses your words to speak His blessing to one another. Let me sum up the point that's been lurking under everything else I've said this morning. and I've tried to draw it to the surface now and then, but I want to wrap up with this. At first, a story of my time overseas, there was a time where I was in an apartment and uh, the water in my faucet was brown. Not an unusual thing where I was living, but not something you want to have happening. So I called my landlord. In my simple words that I knew in their language, tried to explain the problem. Landlord came, took a look. Landlord went out, found a plumber, brought him in. The plumber changed the faucet. Nice, Shiny, brand new faucet with brown water. Oh, that didn't solve the problem. 
So the plumber changed the pipes going up to the faucet, coming from the wall to the faucet, turned it on. And I'm starting at this point starting to wonder, where did you get this plumber? <laughs> okay? Because obviously the problem is not the fixture. The problem goes way deeper than that. And, and that's, that's what's been lurking under the surface here this morning. All the sermons and all the lessons and all the books in the world telling you not to gossip, not to lie, not to slander, not to speak hurtfully. All those teachings, as true and as well-intentioned as they are, they will not change a thing about how you speak. Jesus describes the real issue here in Luke 6. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. As long as the water that was being brought up through the pipes into the faucet was brown, it was going to be brown water. Okay? Until the deeper issue was taken, until the source issue was solved. What was overflowing was going to be the same. It was never going to change. So all my commands, exhortations, everything you read telling you, it's not good to lie. It's not good to gossip. You shouldn't joke hurtfully. You shouldn't say these things. You need to be kind. You need to be... It's not going to change a thing if your mouth is still drawing on a heart that is not transformed by the gospel, by a heart that is not yet rejoicing in a Savior who has taken your place, stricken, smitten, and afflicted for your sins. If you are not acknowledging yourself a sinner and He your Savior, your heart will not produce the good and wise speech that Proverbs calls for. Your heart will instead overflow with insecurity or pride or criticism, or vanity, or addiction, or cruelty, or indulgence, or any of the other things that the gospel is meant to bring to light and address and transform by the grace of God. The heart has to be transformed before the mouth overflows with what Proverbs describes for us this morning. Transformed by the good news that Christ has been punished in your place, and that as a gift of grace, you are now a child of God. The more that that message takes root in your heart, the more that you believe it and act on it, the more your speech will become that which reflects the good, true, powerful word of blessing that comes from God. So this morning, I don't want to leave you with a lot of commands to stop lying, stop joking. You know, I could have pulled out the other proverb that says, if anyone blesses his neighbor loudly in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Okay? There's lots of commands I could throw at you from Proverbs. I don't want you to walk away with those. I want you to walk away remembering that every word that God has spoken is proven true and He is a refuge to those who trust in Him. That life and death are in the power of the tongue and that Christ, by dying, has taken you from death and has taken the members of your body that were once intended for evil and now made them for good. That He, He, fills your cup of blessing to overflowing. If you come away remembering those things, your words will be transformed and you will speak as God intended you to speak. You will hear the call of the kingdom and answer the call with words of blessing, words of goodness, words of love. Let us pray that the gospel would take deep root in our hearts removing from us the fear, the insecurity, the desires, and anything else that would
drive us from the truth. And that out of the overflow of a gospel-transformed heart, our mouths would speak. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that though we are weak, you are strong. Though we are foolish, you are wise. Though we are sinful, you are holy. And that what Christ has done for us, we have every assurance that we will be able to carry out your commands because it is not up to us to will ourselves into obedience. Rather, it is Christ in us that is working in us to will and to work according to your good pleasure. So, Heavenly Father, may our hearts, our minds, be turned towards your good word to us in Jesus Christ this morning, that it is by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. May our hearts so fully believe that, that all who hear our words hear joy, hear goodness, hear blessing, hear kindness, hear concern and compassion and every good thing, because you have filled us by your grace with every good thing. We pray this in our Savior's name.